This is the second installment on a three-part series. We speak to Idila Raza from Kini Labs regarding the state of COVID-19 pandemic and what's happening in Malaysia. Security Lab Podcast. Do you feel, in your opinion, there is the right level of transparency? Yeah, and can the data be more useful? Is there uh, the right level of transparency? I, I, no. And can the data be useful? Yes. More useful, absolutely more useful, yes. Uh, transparency is really quite lacking. There's so many, so much information which other countries provide as routine, which is not provided by the Malaysian government. For Even example? This, uh, the most obvious one is the locations because it's still very much a thing shrouded in secrecy. Um, the, the Ministry of Health said that from the start, they didn't want to reveal locations because they were afraid of stigmatizing uh, stigmatizing the patients or even the businesses, etc. Um, but recently, I think maybe a couple of weeks ago, they decided to start revealing um, at least the taman name or the jalan name, like the road name. Mm. So some level of information, but not exactly as transparent as some countries like uh, Singapore, for example, where every, I think it's real time, not sure whether it's real time or every day at a certain time, they release a list uh, which which shows like, oh, where, where did people infected go to when they were in their infectious period and the time that they went to that place so that people can actually see I was there, uh, but I was there at one o'clock, but this person was there too, so I don't have to worry about it. Um, but if I was there at two o'clock as well and we were eating the same cafe, I might want to uh, monitor my symptoms. And if I have symptoms, I might want to get checked, for example. So in that situation, uh, citizens are empowered to make decisions for themselves instead of waiting for a contact tracer to call them, which is the situation that we are in now, which is not effective at all because our contact tracers are completely overwhelmed. And... Recently, we reported that uh, in Selangor, the, on average, about 6,000 people who are close contacts are not contacted by the contact tracers every day because they just can't manage. And we're not somehow using MySigetra as well as we should, uh, meaning the Ministry of Health and not the people. People are scanning, but that data is not really used properly for some reason. Sarawak actually publishes um, that data to the same level as Singapore. Every day uh, at about 6 p.m., they release that data um, mm-hmm. where these people visited, uh, where the infected persons visited and the time. Mm-hmm. And so far, there has been no complaints about stigmatization in Sarawak. They just accept that this is what it is. And they actually uh, take it as a sign of sincerity, I suppose, by the businesses to come come clean about this 
Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying about the system being overwhelmed, right? There's not enough contact tracers to contact the people who are um, persons of interest in a, infection, in a possible infection. But the at the same time, how Singapore is doing it, when I I don't I was in two minds about it, right? Because I'm I'm just an outsider. I don't I'm not in Singapore, I'm not experiencing it myself. But from what I understand is that they actually uh give they have given tokens to each citizen. I think it's right. it's not compulsory. Yeah. So at first they wanted to make it a bracelet that the person wears and it's a proximity tracker and it works in a way that you that you mentioned, right? So they they will be informed if they had passed or in they they were in close contact with a, a an infectious person, infected person, and they and it's upon themselves. The onus is upon themselves to to do the necessary. But at the same time, um, there was a lot of like backlash from Singaporean citizens because there was the, the privacy concerns about it. They were they were concerned about their location being tracked and so on and so forth. Yes, what so I mean. That? Absolutely, that, that is a concern. But if you do it the, the Sarawak way, that's not a privacy concern, isn't it? Uh, Sarawak doesn't have trackers on everyone, like, like Singapore, where they wear this. It's not a, I think it's a, it's a necklace, I mean, something that you wear on your neck. Um, they, Sarawak doesn't have that, but Sarawak releases the information uh, of where these people had visited. So every time someone is infected, uh, maybe less so now, but so, every time someone is affected, they are interviewed by by KKM to ask where did they go and who they, they met they met in the infectious period. So KKM has this information. In the case of Sarawak, they are releasing that information one uh, on a on their Facebook page every six o'clock, and then they are also contacting via my suggestion the people who had con uh, who were in that place at that time. So if you had scanned uh, the code at Watson's, for example, at one o'clock, and the person who was infected was also at Watson's at one o'clock, you would get a notice on my schedule saying, oh, someone who's infected had, was at Watson's at one o'clock when you were there. Please monitor your symptoms. So this is some, uh, a way to do it without actually you know, monitoring everyone as well, like Singapore. Yeah, from what I, what I understand is like... Uh... Peninsula Malaysia and, and Sarawak have the same technology, which is the MySajatra app. But what Sarawak chooses to do with it is um, a few steps more. Yes, exactly. Okay. How um, the, the second question you said was, can data be more useful? Uh, even the way they present data, I believe, yes, can be more useful. So right now, they are releasing information of uh, trends in cases by Mukim. But I mean, how many people know which Mukim they live in, to be honest? The, you know, do you live in Hululangat or do you live in Gomba uh, Mukim if you are in Ampang, for example? Pe not many people know that. I, it's just very strange that they had, they had to resort to this, but I also feel that this is kind of a legacy thing where, um, they have used these borders for the, the Jabatan Kesihatan Negeri or Pujabat Kesihatan Negeri have used these borders since time, uh, since uh, independence, I suppose, or even before that, and they've just released data based on that. Um, you would have locations in Bukit Bintang uh, announced as under Lembah Pantai, for example, 
because under the uh, what you call medical uh, Jabatan Kesihatan Borders, Bukit Bintang is under Lembah Pantai. But then if you're a resident of Lembah Pantai, you see like suddenly 200 cases in Lembah Pantai, you would feel really concerned thinking that it's one of your neighbours or what, but it's actually a construction site in Bukit Bintang, which is quite far and you probably didn't have any contact with them at all. Yeah, I agree to that. Um, you see, because what I've heard, I've heard contrasting views from people surrounding me. Uh, one group of people seem to think that one reason why we're not as effective as we could have been is because we were not stringent enough. Um, like um, some friends of mine in another country, what they do, what they have in their country is um, they put the entire town under a lockdown and then they test everyone in a regular interview, interval. Okay? And that's how they essentially manage to curb the spread of the disease. While on the other hand, in Malaysia itself, um, number one, because even though initially we have a number of contact tracing apps, and then subsequently um, we consolidated to my Sujatra app. Okay? But the uptake rate is not recorded. And, and it's, while it's gaining momentum now, but it's very slow. Okay. In a report that I read earlier on back in November, it is said that 17% somewhat okay, of effective detection were from the app itself, which means there are many others that come from other sources. Actually, may I interject on that? That yes, uh, report, I think, wasn't very clear. That was, uh, that was from a parliament reply, and mm-hmm. the... They were referring to the self um, self assessment tool, not exactly the the scanning. Mm-hmm. So, meaning that percentage of uh, people who had done use self assessment tool in the MySuggestion were detected via that tool, so not from the scanning tool. So, the number is actually quite higher than that. But I don't recall how much. Like what you hear so far. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. Well, that's good to have that clarified. Um, so it means for people like us, general public, we read and then we depend on what we read, even though they come from some reputable sources. But not many people can go on to... Um, further research into it and to read up or Google and things like that. But do you, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that if the uh, authority were to go deeper in the level of specificity, then it actually creates a lot of stigmatization and uh, panic, unnecessary panic among the citizens here. And therefore, at this point in time, the transparency level would have served a purpose? Firstly, I really want to to counter this idea that if we provide information, we create stigma and panic. I feel that secrecy breeds stigmatization. When you pro- put out more information and it, it's put out routinely, it's desensitized. So people don't see it as something that's scary or, or whatever. They see it as a way to... Uh, to uh, to regulate how they live or make decisions, but they wouldn't be stigmatized by it because it's so routine. You get this every day. So what if uh, Watson's today has a case 
seven days ago, I also had a case. I visited there and nothing happened to me, you know, because otherwise, if it's secret, you would think that it's so dangerous and scary that it becomes stigmatizing and people panic. And I mean, I really uh, think that we should look at the examples of Sarawak, uh, Singapore, even Thailand, who releases information routinely and there's no massive panic or hysteria there. In terms of, as you said, uh, stringent testing, the Ministry of uh, Health actually did that exact uh, way. I mean, that's actually how they, that's the policy that they go, they go for. Whenever there's a mass, massive outbreak in a localised area, they will lock it down and test. That has been the strategy since day one. But now I think they're kind of a bit overwhelmed and they can't really do that strategy anymore. We saw that strategy play out uh, effectively in uh, Kedah when there was the Sivaganga cluster, which uh, kind of got out of hand, especially in the Kuala Muda area. So uh, that area was locked down and people were tested. And finally, I think that it even up to maybe, um, let's say, December, that area was still relatively uh, untouched by the third wave. So I've been the third wave, isn't it? Let me check again. <laughs> I'm forgetting how many waves we've had. Yes, it's the third wave. Okay. <laughs> the finding a balance is very hard here. Either way, I think you will always hear some uh, feedbacks from people who seem to uh, disagree with what I've done and how we could have done better on hindsight. Yes, absolutely. I mean, obviously, the last time the world experienced something like this was uh, a century ago and things are so different now compared to then so everyone's kind of learning how to do it better but I feel like if we see how other countries are doing it and it's proven that they're doing it better why are we so resistant to adopt it? So back to the question on data transparency Malaysia has taken a drastic step to make sure that they use uh, emergency ordinance to put in additional measures uh, to combat COVID-19. Um, I'll, I'll take my example from my corporate world experience. We used to publish numbers, for example, how many machines are infected uh, by a computer virus or a malware. What happens is uh, we present the numbers and if the numbers do get challenged, uh, we then present the raw data and tell you based on the logs that we have on X number of systems, uh, this is how we derive this number, this is why this number is high or medium or low. So it gives the, uh, the audience or the management a perspective on how the number is derived, whether it is accurate or not. And there's an opportunity to challenge that data and actually substantiate that data. Um, in Malaysia, if you look at it from a very simplistic terms, we have one source of data that's publishing these other numbers. So I person A saying the total number of cases is blah. And practically today, there's no way of anyone validating that. So it's more of a person saying a particular data. And this data supports the legal framework or justification of why the country is putting in measures such as the emergency ordinance. So this affects the day-to-day -day life of every average Malaysian. 
So in your view, how do you see this? I see what you're saying. But at the same time, I also feel like uh, there's no way to have alternate um, sources of data because all this is collated in one place. Unless you want to have a duplicated um, system where another CPRC, for example, collects the data from the various sources as well. Uh, but at the same time, I feel that uh, more granular data should be released in a way that is more acceptable as even something as basic as like CSV. Uh, I mean, not not JPEG files, which cannot be read by machines. Uh, it could be more granular and it could be shared uh, with more people. But, um, we know that KKM had for some reason, um, decided not to share this uh, granular data with the Slangor Task Force for COVID. Uh, so they are unable to provide um, support at community level. So, for example, the Slangor Task Force had been rolling out free tests in places where they saw, um, they predicted were going to have uh, localized outbreaks. So, without the information that uh, the granular data that was coming from KKM, they would not were not able to do that kind of prediction. So I feel like it's okay if there was only one source collect, collecting this because it's a it's it's a lot of work collecting it. And I if there is another organization doing it, then great. But right now there's only one organization, which is CPRC, and I, and they the amount of data that comes through them is a lot. And it's okay that they are the only source, but they should be able to release data in a more granular level in a way that is where it's possible for people to use it to do analysis and to actually see whether the conclusions are the same. The ministry's uh, director general said that they don't release granular data because they don't want there to be confusion when there is um, different interpretations of the data, which I find quite strange because if the, the data says that, then all interpretations should be valid and should be discussed. I completely agree with you. And that's the point that I'm actually leading to. If the data were published, say, for example, if the raw data was made available, we have so much of talents, uh, even Prof is here, who's a data scientist, she would be able to even tell you where the issues are, where the outliers are, whether there's a new cluster is going to break. We can run simulations. We can run tests. We can make better use of the data. KKM or CPRC may not have all the experts that they should have. And this is where I feel that crowdsourcing and having the data out makes more sense because you have more many eyes looking at the data rather than just one split set of people looking at it. And it also promotes the fact that, for example, if you're publishing a number, I get the confidence on that number, which means I can now go back, put all the formulas into place, derive that original number and say, hey, look, today's case is X. Based on my calculation, it's also X. So it gives more confidence to the government on how they are handling the, the whole pandemic situation. And the level of transparency that they provide to the public, which gives them more confidence in return. 
and also may also help using crowdsourcing where you get more people looking at the data you might spot something that the government may not see and that could help us to stem this pandemic or shorten the curve which would help everyone in in return sure but we, i i think it really stems down to the fact that we do not have a, a tradition of uh, data transparency we don't even have a, a freedom of information um legislation we don't really practice um sharing data this is not something that is natural to the government or even the health ministry do you see this as a trend that's only prevalent in asia because uh when i look at things for example i i look purely from the cybersecurity aspect i look at things like for example uh, breach notification uh, large organizations even cybersecurity organizations lifting their hand and say look we've been hacked and we're coming clean on all these matters um is this something to do with culture or is it because there's a lack of governance framework around how things are done they kind of related aren't they so there would not be any framework if the culture does not really appreciate or want it or you know if it, it there's no cultural transparency then there wouldn't be any government framework i don't know if this is an asian thing because there are other kind of maybe eastern european countries or even african countries also um facing this kind of issues of uh, transparency issues i don't think it's an asian thing per se um ultimately we just need to understand that uh data is meant to be free uh, it's not meant to be hidden and controlled by anyone if we were to give a government a chance to actually make things better and based on whatever data that's given so far in your opinion what additional data that the government can and should provide to enable people like you me prof to actually look at the data and present a view where it's much more concise uh, gives us enough depth without revealing personal information and giving us a chance to look at this whole pandemic from a data perspective rather than just uh, a holistic uh, number thanks for joining us this week on security lab make sure to visit our website at securitylab.asia where you can subscribe to the show in itunes spotify or via rss so you'll never miss a show 